been on a teaching series, Faithful and Fruitful. One of the things that this teaching series has done is that, for me personally, it has helped to reconfigure my thinking around certain aspects of what it means to work with God as a steward. It has also, you know, brought up, uh, brought me up to speed as to certain areas that I don't know how people feel about them because I've gotten feedback, you know, uh, to the end that I'm now getting to understand how people feel about certain things and what has been happening in some people's lives. For instance, I've met two people recently who have been able to say, Pastor, it looks like you are just talking about me. I mean, you can imagine one guy who said, we stopped tithing over a year ago because we wanted to save up to buy a house. Yeah. I mean, how do you rob Peter to pay Paul? Literally. So, stop tithing, put some money together to be able to get a mortgage to pay for the house. And the moment they bought the house and uh, moved in into the house on a mortgage, then they lost the job. I mean, the only thing you can say is our God is merciful, so God is still going to help out, but I don't, I, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. And in the same vein, somebody approached me after just this last service, just this first service, who um, has been consistent in stewardship. And in fact, I remember last year we had one big medical outreach like that, and this guy supplied... I think all the drugs that we used for that medical outreach. And, you know, I'm not saying that to blow his trumpet or anything. It's just one of us who just loves God and has been living the consistent life of stewardship, and tithing and giving, supporting different things. He said July last year, he was fired because he got married. Yeah. His boss just got angry. That is this a time to get married when we are supposed to focus on our work and, you know, Really, you know, you see what's happening in the country. And he said he just got to work and told him to go and resign. Yeah. He was just fired because he got married. So he said, so I wrote my resignation letter as I was dropping it at HR and asking them whether I had any benefit. He said, they really looked at me and said, you don't have any benefit. The car I was driving at that time, as an official car, I had driven it for seven years. I don't know which company gives somebody seven years to drive an official car. Obviously, a Nigerian company. Let's, let's, let's pack that aside for another day. <laughs> he said, the lady said he still had to pay on that car if he had to take it away. So they deducted whatever was supposed to be benefit, sir. He was left with 16,000 naira. Yeah. But he said, as he dropped that letter, his phone rang. And somebody called him. I said, somebody just spoke about it to me, that you can consult for us on this, that, that. And he said he left that place as he walked out of that office to go for that meeting. To cut the long story short, he now consults in the industry where, you know, he was fired from. And... His wife was right there, as he was saying, this is less than an hour ago. I told him he had to give his testimony himself. He said, this was July. 
He said between September and December, he made up to three years his annual salary. Just working for himself and running his consultancy. And how do you explain it when a man who just lost his job after getting married then was able to move into his own house, finished his house, and moved in in December? Yeah. He told me, he said, Pastor, it was not just a house, it was a home. He said, if you need a witness, ask Pastor Timothy. He came to pray over the house. He said, when Pastor Timothy got to our house, he asked me, how did this happen? So I told him, I said, you said you are shy, but you need to give your testimony. Even if you are going to blow your face so that we will not see it, give it. Because we live in a time where people are becoming extremely jittery because of our attitude towards money and possession and what our relationship with God will be with it. I was saying in the first service that is, it is he that is faithful in little that qualifies for more. Not he that lives anyhow with little. Because somebody may be saying now, Pastor, it's just a little. And this is there's a kind of attitude that you live even in recession. It's the attitude of faithfulness and understanding that at the end of the day, it's all about God and his agenda. It's in control of seasons and times. We call it recession. As far as it's concerned, it's a season for some people, for some of us, for Nigerians as a whole to shape up. When you cut benefits from your children, when they are misbehaving, what's the purpose? Is it not for them to shape up? Is it that you want to kill them? Uh-huh. When you say you are grounded, talking to a child, no TV, no this, no uh, PlayStation, no this one, no that one. What you are saying is, go and behave yourself. And then you'll come back still to these things. What is God saying to Nigeria? Behave yourself. And I will restore your benefit. <laughs> glory be to Jesus. I said, glory be to Jesus. So we continue in the teaching series, Faithful and Fruitful. If you have been away a while, we've been teaching on the principles of financial stewardship. The fact that the Bible says that a faithful man will abound with blessings. And he that, you know, is too hasty to get wealth, the Bible says he, 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 would, he will face, you know, some measure of repercussion. And we took text from, a text from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 1 says, let every man, let man so consider us, or men so consider us as uh, uh, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, it's, moreover, it is required in stewardship that a man be found faithful. So it's that subject of faithfulness that we have been focusing on. We also looked at Matthew chapter 6. And, you know, the most principal part of Matthew chapter 6 for us for this teaching is verse 21 which says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I said that treasure, my treasure and my heart are inseparable twins. They go hand in hand. It's vice versa. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. They follow each other. They follow each other. So there is a strong connection between my spiritual life and my attitude to money and material possession. Yeah. There's a strong connection between my spiritual life, my work with God, and my attitude 
mark my word, attitude towards money and material possession. Invariably, it means that my attitude towards money and material possession can slow me down in my work with God. Little wonder Jesus said, it is not possible to serve God and mammon. The only thing that Jesus elevated to the level of God all through the scripture is not even the devil. Because some people think that, you know, it's the devil. The devil is competing with God. No. In New Testament, all through the New Testament, the devil is, has been positioned as somebody under your, your feet. Yeah. Behold, I see Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That's what Jesus said. And on the strength of that, I give unto you power over and against, you know, serpent and scorpion. And said that nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's the positioning that Jesus gave the devil. But when it came to money, he said the only thing that can become your master outside of me, outside of God, is money. Not the devil. The devil is not that powerful. As in, I can rebuke the devil and he will flee from me. But when greed takes hold of me, it's difficult. Because he wants to take the position of God. So, the spirit of mammon, greed, is the only thing that Jesus brought to the level that it can come into an exchange with God, not even the devil. Are you still with me today? I said, are you still with me today? So, we, we, it's been an interesting discussion. I want to encourage you, if you have not been around or you're watching on the internet, place, I mean, place your order, order the first two messages of this series. Uh, and, you know, start to listen to it so that you can catch up with us. I'm continuing this morning with a message that I've titled, How to be Rich. How to be rich. How to be rich. Now, before you freak out, I need you to understand that I'm not about to teach you how to make money. No. This is not a class in MMM, no. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, so I'm not about to teach you how to be rich quick. No, that's not what it's all about. This, this message is completely you know, at variance with that. This is about how to be rich the right way. This message is based on the premise that there's a good and a bad way to be rich. There's a good and a bad way to be rich. There's a good and a bad way to be rich. So when we examine the good way to be rich, that's what this message is all about. A good way to be rich. It's possible to be rich in a bad way and it's possible to be rich in a good way. So the good way to be rich is what we're examining. And before I read my first scripture, I want to lay, uh, you know, some kind of foundation of belief that, uh, well, for the want of a better word, some assumptions so that we, you can follow me, you know. You know, when you propound theories, you have to lay it on certain assumptions. So uh, this is not really an assumption, but just using that language. And this is it. That as I speak this morning, I'm going to be speaking to all of us as rich people. Now, Many people listening to me here this morning, people watching on the internet, you don't consider yourself rich. And I understand. I'm going to explain why you don't. Yeah, you don't consider yourself to be rich. But the truth is that you are actually rich. Now, studying for this message, I checked. The top 1% wage earner, for instance, in the US, are people who earn between $45,000 a year and, you know, and above. They fall within the first one percent wage earner, and if you say in America, literally you're talking world over. Now, if you earn forty-five, forty-eight, fifty thousand dollars a year, an equivalent, literally speaking, you don't consider yourself to be rich. But 
the topmost 1% of wage earners in the world earn from that bracket up. It just speaks to the fact that the bulk of this world is still very, very poor. So, what am I saying? If, for instance, in Nigeria, if you just want to, you know, walk around it a bit, if you earn even half of that, about $20,000 a year, which is about 8 to 9 million naira a year, you are in like the top 8 to 10% wage earner in this country. About 120 million of us. But, yeah, first 10%, yeah. If you earn equivalent of $10,000, which is about 4 million naira, you're still in the first 20%, if I want to even enlarge it from what I'm saying now. That, this is to tell you that rich, being rich is relative. You know the reason why many of us don't believe that we are rich is that we don't feel rich. We don't feel rich. But the truth is that all of us are rich when we compare ourselves with other people. Yeah. All of us are rich when we compare ourselves with other people. Let me try to help you a bit. Can you try to remember the last time you felt rich? Yeah. Can you try to remember the last time you felt rich? Let me tell you the first, about the first time I felt rich ever in my life. I was about seven or eight years old. I was um, visiting, I mean, well, on holidays with my maternal grandfather. And my oldest brother was also there, and my parents came to take him away. I think he was resuming school earlier than all of us. I can't remember whether I was getting into... I was getting maybe getting into A-levels or something like that. I was, still, I was still very relatively young or much younger. And I started crying because I didn't want him to go and leave us because it was like the, you know, the person who would take us around and make, you know, just the life of the party, as it were. So as I was crying, my brother pulled me aside. Apparently my, my grandfather had given him some money knowing that I was going to resume school. And he put 15 naira in my hand. The moment he put that money in my hand, I told my parents, carry him, go, 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 go. <laughs> just kill him, everybody, just go. Wipe my face, you know, and all that. In my mind, I thought I could literally buy that town with that 15 naira. I mean, this was a long time ago, so 15 naira was a lot of money, yeah, but at the same time, I'd calculated how many packets of granite I was going to buy, chocolates and different things with that 15 naira, and I felt very rich. That was my first experience with feeling rich. Yeah. For some of us here, maybe the first time you really felt rich was the last time you went to your, your first time you visited your village after you bought your first car. You know, you, so you drove into the village and people looked at you and people were greeting you and looking at the car and greeting you and as you are driving over, you're like, ah! Yeah. You know, when you go to like a village, countryside or something and you, 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 you just realize that you could afford to stay overnight in the hotel. The hotel is just 5K a night, all right? <laughs> yeah. But at least you can afford to stay in the hotel. You have a smartphone in your hand. You are receiving calls and people are looking at you like, ah. you know. In fact, you had two, two phones. So this was ringing, that was ringing. And you were just like, and you know, the people were just looking at you like you dropped from heaven. You know, you, you just feel rich. 
So there's a difference between being rich and feeling rich. Yeah. Many of us are rich, but we don't feel rich. And the reason why we don't feel rich is that except we're exposed to some of these kind of things that I described, we feel like we don't have enough margin. You know, you can, you can, you can be worth a billion naira in asset, but if you don't have liquid asset and what you can spend on the immediate and spend anyhow, you don't feel rich. That's the truth. You don't feel rich. You just feel like, you know, I'm cash-strapped and uh, no margin, you know. Yeah. You, you, you want to buy something, I just feel like I can't even afford this. And based on that, you feel like you're not rich. But whichever your situation this morning, you can't excuse yourself from this message. Yeah, I'm here to preach to you. You are rich. Amen. Say amen. amen. Yeah, yeah. So don't even try to excuse yourself from this message. I want to speak to you about how to be rich positively. How to be a good rich person. How to be rich well. Because that's a good way and a bad way to be rich. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. I'll first read from verse 6 to 10. And then I'll jump to verse 17 and read it down to 19. Are we together? I said, are we together? All right. I'm reading from the New King James translation. And I may have to touch on with the NIV also. All right. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Somebody say content. content. Tap your neighbor for me, help your neighbor, preach to your neighbor for me and say content. content. Yes. Verse 9 says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, the love of money, I repeat, not money, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root, a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Very bad way to be rich. Yeah, very bad way to be rich. Verse 10 actually spoke of a very bad way to be rich. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, for some are strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Bad way to be rich. Let's jump to verse 17. Verse 17 of the same First Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present age. And I'm commanding you here, Elevation Church, this morning because you are rich. Say amen, somebody. Yeah, yeah. And this is not a suggestion, it's a command. Command means instruct. Yeah. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be hurty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18 says, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. So all of us are rich when compared with others. 
All of us are rich when compared with others. The good way to be rich is to be able to handle the side effects. Can I have my slides on, please? Please preach with me. Help me this morning. Yeah. The good way to be rich is to be able to handle the side effects of riches. Just like when you seek medical attention and you, you, you're given maybe a drug or something, they'll tell you there are side effects to this yeah, treatment. And uh, you know, some of it may be okay, some may shake you a bit, but you're going to pull through it because the whole idea is that you want to be made whole. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. So the same thing ensues when we come to the arena of wealth and riches. There are side effects, according to the scripture that we just read, that God can give grace to pull through it, but you need to be aware of it so that it won't come to you as a surprise and then it knocks you off your socks. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's what happens when you take a drug and you don't know the side effects. Instead of getting better, you feel like you're getting worse and you then freak out and you, you're wondering what's happening to you. But if you have been warned earlier on, you will know that I need emotional fortitude to pull through the side effect and then I will be okay. In the same vein, you need to understand that to be rich the right way, you need to be aware of the things that come with it and to be able to then trust God for grace to pull through it so that you come out on the other hand and you are a satisfied rich man before God and man, and you are a good person. Because the Bible says here that with riches, some have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Yeah, pierced themselves with many sorrows. Glory be to Jesus. So, there's a good way and a bad way to be rich. Let's quickly look at the side effects of riches, side effects of wealth side effects of wealth. The first one that I want to talk about is arrogance. 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 is the first side effect of riches that Paul wrote about to Timothy in the scripture that we read. So if you give it to me in New, I mean, New International Version, um, verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, New NIV, it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be what? I can't hear you, elevation. Say so not to be arrogant. It means that there's a measure of arrogance that comes with riches. Arrogance to man and arrogance to God. It comes, you know, with riches. It comes with, especially when you start to feel rich. Yeah. When you start to feel rich, it just comes with it comes with it. Then you realize that you can wake up in the morning and decide to say tonight, we're going to sleep in, in Dubai. Yeah, I want to go to bed tonight in Dubai. And you know that nothing can stop you because you have what it takes. You can wake up in the morning and tell yourself, I want to have, um, I want to, I want to have suya. And they sell it in a ballet day and you're in London. Yeah. And you say, um, we can send a jet to come and buy it. He will fly in and fly back the same day. Or I send somebody, give him business class ticket, to come and buy 50,000 naira suya. Yeah. The person will come and come and buy the suya because that's what you want. 
and you can afford it, and you don't owe anybody anything, and what's your problem? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a measure of arrogance that comes with money when that arrogance is already there, and money even now meets it there, it amplifies it. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You're not able to tame your appetite in any area of life at all. And you can become extremely arrogant even to people around you just because you, you now feel rich. Just because you now feel rich. Not every rich person is smart. But riches has a way of trying to make you feel that you are smart. So you may have gotten rich because you are smart, but getting rich doesn't make you smart. Yeah, or wiser. That's the truth. Because the, at the foundation of that arrogance is that I am smart. That's why I can command all these things. Yeah. You know one of the dangers of allowing arrogance to come into your heart when money starts to come into your hand? Apart from the fact that you start to feel bigger than God in your heart, which is why some people even never give to God and never be a faithful steward or even have a stewardship mindset when money starts to come into their hand. Apart from that, is that you don't know that you are literally cutting short your life by embracing arrogance. Let me tell you how arrogance works. When you become arrogant, you don't want to listen. Now, so if somebody's listening to me this morning, maybe I'm talking to you and you have a bit of arrogance in your heart, you have decimated almost everything that I've said this morning since this service started. You have reduced it to almost nothing in your mind. Because for everything I've said, you have a counterposition. And you have buttressed it with many things in your heart. Despite the fact that I preach from the scriptures, you have thought that it's just the Bible. Yeah. That's what happens to arrogant people. We just look through one perspective. Now, all of us in life, one thing that we will never be able to handle is our blind spots. Because there's nothing you can do about your blind spots. They exist. So I'm looking at you now straight. I can't tell you what is written on the screen behind me, but you can. If you are talking to me about this screen and I refuse to listen to you, I'm stupid. Because you can see it, I can't see it. That's how arrogant people behave. So, you think because you now have money or you feel rich, your eyes can see 360 degrees. And God will always position people around you who will be able to tell you the truth, who will be able to advise you on this, on that. But arrogance will make you not to listen to them because you feel, because you, you, you're feeling rich right now, you are the, you know, the best in after sliced bread and you don't have to listen to anybody. Yeah. That's, 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 that's what, what, what happened. That's how arrogance works. Tell your neighbor, don't be arrogant. Glory be to Jesus. If you want to be a good, rich person, you need to be able to deal with arrogance. Paul said, command them that are rich in this world. It was a command. It was not a suggestion. It means that Paul knew that if they are not able to deal with that, they're going to be badly rich or terribly, a terrible rich person. Elevation, we're raising men and women who will be great and be humble at it. Our mission is to make greatness common. Yeah. To be able to tell everybody, you can be great too. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, you can imagine in the scriptures, 
Let me quickly say this. Jesus, have you, has it occurred to you before the kind of thing that Jesus did when he gave his disciples power? So he went 40 days and 40 nights after the baptism at Jordan. He was tempted. He overcame all the temptation and all that. And then, you know, God gave him power. Uh, this is my beloved son. And then he gathered some 12 guys together. And after a while, he said, behold, I give unto you power. Yeah. If you are Jesus, will you just give it like that? You will tell them, when I was fasting, <laughs> where were you? Yeah. When I was, where, where were you? Do you know what it takes to be 40 night, 40 day and 40 night without anything? And then the devil comes to meet you and say, eat bread. And you say, say no. As in, he will be walking through a grain field. Have you read that in your Bible before? His disciples were plucking raw grain to eat. That was their level at a point. And yet, Jesus said, I give unto you power. If you have that kind of power, will you give it out with the kind of arrogance that you have now? Because it's just money you have now, you can't give it out. I, 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 I hope you understand what I'm saying. You see the way some people hold the, they call it business secrets. <laughs> and hold it, hold it so much, you know. They say some, ah, some people are interested in your area of business. This one wants to start this one. Come and mentor them. Say, ah, they will not steal my business secrets. Yeah. And then Jesus gathered people and said, I give unto you power. Just go, go. And use, use the power anyhow. That's, that's, that's real stewardship. It's not my own. It's from God. Take. Secondly, second side effect of being rich, living in denial, which leads to discontentment. Yeah. Living in denial, which leads to discontentment. From my opening talk, you realize that many people who are, I mean, like I said, being rich is relative. So we are all rich. To a very large extent. So, but we live in denial of it because we don't feel rich all the time. We don't feel rich all the time. So we live in denial of it. And when you consistently live in denial, it leads to discontentment. So you are always on the run, chasing money. Always on the run, chasing money. Can I ask you the question this morning? How much money do you need in liquid asset to feel rich? Yeah. How much money do you need in liquid asset to feel rich? When I say liquid asset, I mean money you can just spend. Yeah. Not tied to any tangible asset. That is in your account. How much money do you think you need in your account so that you can feel rich? You know, it's a, it's a tricky question, right? Because I know your mind is raising and calculating. Some people, some people just say, I'm not going to do anything about it. Just, I know pastor is just asking this question just to trick us, so I'm not going to do anything about it. But the truth is, have you asked yourself that question before? Perhaps it will help you to deal with this rat race and this discontentment. Remember where we started from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10? Yeah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's how to be rich. To be rich and yet be content. 
First Timothy 6 and 10, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Great gain. The moment you start to live in denial, not knowing that if you earn, you know, this, if, even if you, I mean, you earn 100,000 naira a month today, you, you are still perhaps in the first 30 or 40 percent, you know, income bracket, topmost income bracket in the world. That's the truth. The bottom 50 percent, world over. The kind of poverty you are talking about, that bottom 50 percent, I think it was 2013 or so, 2012 or 2013, I visited the country of Liberia to inaugurate a church pastored by a protege of mine and to ordain the pastor. As I drove up from the Monrovia airport, I saw a dimension of poverty that you can never perhaps really see, especially if you live in Lagos or this part of Lagos. And you know what was crossing my mind? I mean, with, I don't have issues with uh, people who make money from sports. But in, in my mind, I was just trying to think about all those guys playing in premiership, British, I mean, English premiership and all that, and the kind of money they make. And I was like, if, can they just travel and come to Africa and come to some part of Africa and just see that there's, there, there are better things to do with money? Because some of them still feel poor with all that kind of money that they make. Because they compare themselves with bigger people. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Compare yourself with bigger people. Compare yourself with... There's something about appetite. It's difficult to satisfy it. The more you feed it, the more it grows. That's one thing about appetite. Many of us feed our appetite thinking that it will not grow. And you, you, you can't just be deceiving yourself that way. You feed appetite, it grows. That's what happens. It just grows. It grows. Because what, it demands something now. You feed it with it. It grows to a new level. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works. So we, we need to understand that and deal with the discontentment that comes from the denial of the fact that I'm okay to a very large extent. I'm not where I'm going yet, but I'm not where I used to be. So I'm going to enjoy where I am on the way to where I'm going. So 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 says, Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Not little gain, great gain. Great. Because it cuts you off from certain side effects of riches that can destroy you and destroy the riches. Are you still with me this morning? I said, are you still with me this morning? Very, very important. So don't confuse being rich with feeling rich. Don't confuse being rich with feeling rich. You can be rich and yet not feel rich. And then it puts you on the run. And you feel like you have to make all the money in the world before you can be content. Because to feel rich, all you need, like I said before, is just a margin, some margin, some amount of free money to spend, then you start to feel rich. And it doesn't mean that you don't have money at all before. Yeah. And um, to create margin, you have to downsize on your taste. If you really need plenty of money, just downsize on your taste. You'll see the money. 
and you will feel rich. <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. Yeah. So people who are rich for themselves are plagued with discontentment. The more you have, the more you want to have. Yeah. People who are rich for themselves are plagued with discontentment. The more you have, the more you want to have. The third one is pressure to upgrade. Pressure to upgrade. Pressure to upgrade. And this one works with newer and nicer. That's the, the, the problem of people who are rich for themselves. Newer and nicer. Some of the richest people in the world have mastered this pressure to upgrade. A few years ago, they interviewed um, Bill Gates and asked him which car he was driving. He was driving a Porsche that he bought maybe five years or six years before. And that was the car he was driving at, at that time. Now, Porsche has re released newer versions. Bill Gates can buy Porsche, not just one car, the entire Porsche company. He can buy them up. But he, he refused to come under the pressure to upgrade. Because those are the things that take us away from being a faithful steward. So you have, uh, I don't know which is the latest iPhone, whether it's 7 or 8, I don't know. Which one? 7, right? So you have iPhone 7 on you, and you're already waiting for the release of iPhone 8. And this 7, you have only used it for 8 months. You have not used up to 10% of its capability and capacity and the things that it can do. I don't know whether you are a shareholder in Apple Incorporated, <laughs> but you are, you are already waiting for, <laughs> for, for the next one because the pressure to upgrade says it has to be newer and nicer. Yeah, newer and nicer. It has to be newer and nicer. That's where the pressure to upgrade comes from. I want you to, to tell yourself, I'm going to be a good rich person. I'm going to come off the pressure to upgrade. Yeah. The pressure to upgrade. It's, 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 it's very important. It's, you know, when you, when you see pressure to upgrade, you see a rich person standing in front of a closet that is filled with clothes and shoes. The person says, I don't have anything to wear. That's a pressure to upgrade. Yeah. Um, apologies to women, but <laughs> I know it's more applicable to women. And it's because, unlike us men, when they wear something for the first time, they start to mark it down from that day. That they have seen me with this one once. You know, you, know, you know, for someone like me, I come up here every Sunday to preach. You know the truth? I really don't care whether I wear the same, I, I'm wearing the same suit I wore last Sunday. I just, I just want to look good. Yeah. But that's me. It's not applicable to everybody. But I'm saying even at that, let's try to tone it down. Yeah. Let's try to tone it down. The pressure to upgrade will, can, can put you on the run so much before you know it, you're spending money that you don't have. Yeah. And you're getting into debt because of it. I hope you're getting along with me right now. Glory be to Jesus. Yeah. I remember something I said in the first service and the women clapped for me. I think I should say it. Because this last one I said, women, they didn't clap for me. I remember it. I'll say it. I was talking about arrogance. 
and I spoke to the men. I said, the fact that you are the breadwinner and you are the one that brings most of the money home does not mean that the things that women do outside of making money is not valuable. When a woman takes care of a child and the child turns out well, you can't buy that with money. Now, I know the applause is good, but I'm not saying it because of the applause. Sincerely, I believe that the Holy Spirit just put it in my heart to say. But the only thing that reminded me of it was that he just said something, and these women, they're not clapping. There's something that can make them clap, so that's why I decided to say it. That's just for free. But men, take something out of that. Value is more important than money because money flows in the direction of value. Value actually commands money. You have value, money will follow you. Yeah. So a woman can be adding so much value to this family, and that value is not the one that you can remunerate for, so they don't have money to put down. But it's just a lot. I was speaking to a woman this past week. Her son is going to leave high school, I think, in three years' time. And she was already discussing with me about the university that the boy will go to. The father is somewhere, not even thinking whether she, the boy went to school or not. This woman already has a list of the universities that this boy will go to. I was asking my advice. These schools in Nigeria, these schools abroad, uh, this is my your friend that has a child in a school in Canada. What is it like? You know, and all that. And I, I was like, ah, relax, oh. God is in control. <laughs> you know? But, but it just to tell you how some women are so invested in some of these areas. Yeah, so as you move from one boardroom to the other, know that there's somebody who is covering your blind spots for you. And there's no amount of money you can put down that can be in exchange for that. I got more than I bargained for. But, it, but, but, but the truth must be told, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Parkinson's law, it says expenses will always rise to meet income. Expenses will always rise to meet income. When you come under the pressure to upgrade, it's not about how much you are making. Your expenses will rise to meet up with income. No margin, so you will never feel rich. And then you keep with the, on with the rat race. So there cannot be contentment if you live that way. Your income rises. You can't tame your appetite. You continue to feed it and it grows. It grows back to the level where there's no margin. So you never feel rich. <laughs> and if you can't get yourself to a point once in a while that you come off the denier that you're not rich, you will be continuing the rat race, chasing money. Your attitude towards money and material possession is that I have to keep running. How long are you going to run for? And you run and then you outrun God and outrun destiny. That's why some people would rather take a job because of money, not because of prospect or whether God wants to use them there or anything like that. Because they're just running for money. 
When you keep running, you are thrown God. You can't see his purpose, his plans for your life. Glory be to Jesus. Lastly, this morning, people who are rich for themselves suffer from migration of hope. I'm going to explain that. Migration of hope. Migration of hope. This is the most important thing that I'm saying today. So as I round it all up, I want you to hear me well. Migration of hope. And how does this work? Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Give me NIV, verse 17, 18, and 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in what? Can I hear you one more time? Which is so uncertain, but put their hope in who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What riches do is that it, they can, you know, when wealth comes, it can successfully migrate your hope from God to the wealth itself. That's why I call it migration of hope. It says, command them that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put their hope in God, who is a constant key, certain forever. So when you start to put your hope in money, your hope has migrated from God to money. You forget, you've forgotten, you know, that hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing else than Jesus Christ and righteousness. And it's righteousness. Can we sing that hymn? If you remember it, can you play it, play it, play it quickly? sing that song because I want it to sink in in you. As your hope migrated. Because the truth is that all other ground, including your billions or millions or thousands, whatever, wherever you are right now, sink in, son. Yeah. Because your hope can migrate from God into your world. And when that happens, you live a lie. You, you believe a lie. Proverbs 18 and verse 11. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it 
a wall too high to scale. The wealth of the rich is a fortified city. Can you put that scripture for me? Yeah, I got your message. Put that scripture for me. The wealth of the rich is a fortified city. Proverbs 18 and 11. The wealth of the rich is a fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. When you put your hope in riches, your money then becomes your fortified city. That's your security. That's your safety. You imagine it a wall too high to scale by the devil or, or any financial mishap or anything. Our attempt to secure our future, which is God's job, takes us away from focusing on God's priority. Yeah. Securing my future is not my job. It's God's job. If I migrate my hope to money, I will try to use money to secure my future. That's why people steal mindlessly. Yeah. One major reason why, for instance, in Nigeria, um, our, our politicians steal mindlessly is because they feel they can secure their future once they're in office. It's God's job to secure my future, not mine. Jesus said, do not care about tomorrow. Tomorrow will handle itself. It's my job. He said, haven't you seen the lily of the valley? They never spin, not tall. But God, you know, just makes them turn out, you know, in this array of colors and all that. Because my future is not my responsibility, as it were. Not my primary responsibility. I just do my part. God is the one that goes into the future and secures my future. Let me drive this home finally for you. This big question for this morning. How much money will you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? Yeah. How much money will you need to secure your entire future, plus the future of your children and their own children, against all imaginable eventualities. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. How much, how much money will you need to secure your future, the future of the next generation, and the one they will give back to, to secure everything against all imaginable eventualities? How much money will you need? Except to ask ourselves such questions like this, we won't come to terms with the realities of the scripture. And that God has his job, and I have mine. I focus on mine, he will focus on his own. Mine is to be a faithful steward of what he has given me now. I told you at the beginning, uh, the, 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 the brother that I talked about, just trying to secure the future, stopping to pay tight, to save money, to be able to put money together to buy a mortgage. And at the end of the day, the source of income was cut off. Because you're not faithful with now. Your hope has migrated. My time is up, but I, I, I would recommend that you read Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. God spoke about the church in Laodicea. He said you, you, <laughs> said you are, he called them wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. He said you have money, but you are wretched, you are poor. Because you are not rich towards me. Said, I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold, refined gold, that you may be rich 
and white garment that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Would you put your hope in the provision when you can put your hope in the provider? That's a big question for today. Will you put your hope in the provision rather than put your hope in the provider? It's very important. Very important. Very important. Very important. Very important. So people ask the question like, um, should I pay tithe of gross or net? When you, after listening to this kind of message, you can answer the question yourself. You can, if you want net blessing, pay net. And if you want gross, see, when you start to work with God as a steward and somebody who is working with God in love, you will just love him and just give to him. You, you cut all those questions and all that, you know, how do I pay tight of my company? Fine, it may, be, it may be a real question from your heart. But I'm saying that you, you, you know what your profit is. And if you are the sole owner of the company, then it's your choice how you want to bless God from what he has blessed you with. There's your personal income, there's your company income, if you have separated it. So that if you pay tight of your personal income, which is what your company pays you, the company still makes some profit. If it's a company that is built on biblical foundation, something must flow from that company to God also. Are you still with me today? Yeah. If you're in partnership with people of different faiths and all that, they will share your own profit with you. Tight your profit. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. If your company engages in CSR, ask yourself, what content of this CSR has any implication on the kingdom of God? Because you can use all your CSR to sponsor golf competition. I play golf too. It feels good. But I don't know how that touches anything that has to do with God's own agenda. That's what I, I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying as a believer who has influence, who is a part owner in that company, you need to ask yourself, if God is the one helping us here, if we have dedicated this company to God, how is it touching God's agenda? Very important. Very important. Because if you are not asking such questions, you are building on dangerous ground. Glory be to Jesus. Take the confession with me. And it's a commitment. I wanted to say it all the days of this week. I will not place my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides.